Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome along to The Profile with me, Justin Briley, a special podcast-only edition of the programme this week uh, because of our special fundraising appeal over on Premier Christian Radio. If you do want to join in with that, uh, we could really value your input on that. Uh, Do feel free to check out the website at premierchristianradio.com where you can find out more. But uh, we never want to leave you lacking when it comes to The Profile podcast. And so I'm very pleased to say that on today's edition of the programme, I'm joined by Will Vanderhart. And of course, we're doing this all remotely from home and everything else because of the coronavirus so that's certainly going to be a big part of our conversation today Uh, just a reminder though before i introduce will that if you want a free sample copy of premier christianity magazine you can get hold of one they're still going out despite coronavirus Uh, you can ask for one at their website premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample wonderful monthly resource and uh, of course the profile is brought to you in partnership with premier Christianity. Well, Will Vanderhart is a pastoral chaplain at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. Uh, He's also one of the founders of the Mind and Soul Foundation. And as someone who has himself been familiar with depression, mental health challenges, and so on, he's been seeking to help other Christians and churches to understand and care for those with mental health issues. His most recent book is The Power of Belonging, Discovering the Confidence to Lead with Vulnerability, written with Rob Waller. Um, Will, welcome along to the program. Great to have you with me. Thanks so much, Justin. It's great to be here. It's uh, lovely to have this opportunity to talk with you. Well, this is the wonders of modern technology. Even though we're all in lockdown mode at the moment, we're still able to connect. Um, Tell us, what is life like for you just at the moment, obviously, with all these new restrictions in terms of, um, you know, are you basically contained in the house and so on? Yes, uh, we are. We've actually done quite a long time of quarantine because my son has some vulnerabilities health-wise. And so we've actually been in sort of family lockdown for about nine days now. And uh, we're actually also um, in with my parents-in-law who are over 70 and also have vulnerabilities. So we've we've got quite a strict uh, regime here and um, we are uh, doing pretty well. Um, We're in my parents-in-law's home, which is um, a little bit further out of London. And so we've got a little bit more space um, from where we where we actually live in the centre of London. So that's uh, that's been good, but it's uh, it's obviously very challenging. And um, mm. we've got homeschooling three children, and uh, doing the sort of all the, the family shopping in one in one go uh, as far as far as I can safely. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, both of us trying to do full time jobs and look after the family at the same time. So it's challenging. I mean, everyone is in the same boat here, aren't they? Everyone is facing unique challenges that they weren't even thinking about two weeks ago. And and obviously for you guys, it's it's that much more strenuous because of the the, the challenges of making sure you're shielding people who are especially vulnerable. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, let's be honest. Um, I'm sure there are good parts and also really stressful moments as well because everyone's kind of trying to deal with these new schedules and routines, which which have kind of upended their normal life. Yeah, I think one of the things I've really noticed um, in myself is how scheduled my life was before coronavirus. And um, I think for everyone who struggles a little bit with their emotional and mental health, tight um, re- regime, uh, you know, a very heavy schedule of life helps you to feel comfortable and generally does edit out quite a lot of the challenges you face. And, you know, we do a lot of coaching with people around the idea of you know, knowing what you're doing, you know, having a really healthy pattern to life, 
um, having the right variation of spending time with people and then spending time alone. And here it seems all of those ground rules are kind of blown out of the water because, you know, for us as a family, we're suddenly, you know, all of us, uh, seven of us, really tightly packed all together all the time. Uh, and then you can't go out and do uh, these other things. And it's very hard to get alone time. Uh, so a, a lot of the general well-being advice that we would give people is, you know, has to be reworked in this season. But there also is something quite powerful uh, in this idea of actually finding sort of solitude or separation uh, from the previous schedule of life. And I've realized how much distraction technique I've used, um, <laughs> not just you know, working and family life, but also Netflix and all these other things which aren't available to, to where we are right now. And actually just having a little bit more quiet time, which can be a little bit terrifying, but equally, mm. I think it's actually probably pretty good for me too. Yeah, well, we'll maybe talk about how to deal with cabin fever a bit later on when it comes to living at, at close quarters with people that you ne- weren't necessarily always so used to spending so much time around. But um, uh, let's go back to your early life, Will. Um, was Christianity kind of part of your life growing up and, and what eventually led you into a kind of call to ministry? Well, I, I did grow up in a, in a Christian family. My parents are, are Christians and um, I grew up in the, in the uh, free evangelical church. Uh, which was, was a you know, wonderful place to begin uh, life in faith. And I definitely made a commitment to Christ uh, as quite a young child. I, I think our um, experience of faith was probably quite, um, it was quite severe on one, on one level. Maybe it's quite typical for that kind of period of, of faith. And so I didn't, I didn't always feel secure talking about the sort of emotional stuff, which I talk about today. Um, and I certainly was quite a worried child. And so a lot of my prayer life, I look back and realize a lot of my prayer life was dominated by anxiety. Wow. I'm not sure how much of it was actually prayer and how much of it was actually just worrying to God. Mm. Um, I found, I, I kind of wandered away from my faith, I think, as, a, as an older teen and then as a student, um, partly because I think um, this sort of escapism into drinking and socializing w- was a way of escaping from a lot of the anxiety which had been undealt with really uh, in my childhood and so it wasn't actually until later on I reconciled faith came into a really living relationship with Jesus um, and also realized that God wasn't saying to me I shouldn't feel this or I shouldn't feel that or I shouldn't experience this or I shouldn't experience that but actually he was saying I'm with you in the storm and my presence is a, is a comfort not a condemnation I think one of the things I, I kind of learned to believe, and I don't think my pastor growing up had ever intended this, but I think I'd, I'd kind of come to believe that I needed to be always be joyful and everything yeah. needed to be, always be okay. And if I was feeling low or if I was feeling worried, I was being disobedient to God um, and I wasn't really living my Christian life. And I found that the weight of expectation um, quite hard to deal with. Yeah, I, I can imagine that's a story for many other people as well. That, that it is possible to grow up in certain kind of Christian environments where you constantly have to be living in the victory, and if you're not, then something's desperately wrong. But that doesn't take into account the fact that we are human, and that frankly, we will all go through seasons where you know we we don't feel the same as we did, um, you know, yesterday necessarily. Do you think generally churches are more aware of that, that kind of pressure that can be put on Christians that, that isn't always very helpful. I, absolutely. I mean, when, um, when we started Mind of Soul Foundation in 2005, I think there was still a quite strong uh, dogma around uh, emotional health. And, and that was largely, I mean, l- let's be honest, it was, it was well-meaning, 
but it wasn't necessarily well thought through. I don't think mm. any church leader has any intention to kind of create emotional challenges for their congregations. But I think we'd made assumptions around emotional mental health that just weren't actually true. And the, the, biggest, the biggest assumption, I think, has always been that we have absolute agency in the work of our minds. Um, and obviously, we all accept that our bodies can give up. Um, no one, like, artic- you know, they, they manifest the flu because they've worked it upon themselves. They either get it or they don't. But we've made assumptions around mental health um, that actually it was on us. So depression came, became sort of laziness or a lack of gratitude. Uh, that that are, is our responsibility. Anxiety became a lack of deciding to trust and almost kind of, you know, a, mollycoddling ourselves uh, and making ourselves kind of the centre of attention. Um, personality disorders were just bad behaviour. Um, you know, psychotic disorders were largely around sort of demonic manifestation maybe you've been involved in some occult practices or something in the past so all of all of the narrative around mental health was about personal agency this is your fault and you've Mm. got to do something about it um and i think unfortunately um that isn't true i mean in some ways it would be much easier if it was true because we'd be able to solve these problems behaviorally uh behavior does benefit our psychology we use a technique called cognitive behavioral therapy which is about changing your thoughts to change your behavior which does change your mood but actually that's a a kind of medicine and the origins of our mental ill health uh, are largely neurochemical Mm. and don't have massive amounts of personal agency so no one personally gets a serious injury mental health problem And, and people who are seriously depressed aren't lazy and people who are anxious are not overly mm. fearful so that was the that was the, the, the kind of the locus of misunderstandings being around personal agency and this sense that we are m- greater agents in our mental health than we really are mm, yeah I, I i think more and more churches especially are beginning to to better understand now the issues there that that we have to treat often mental health issues sort of in a similar way that you would treat someone with with a broken leg there there is often a physical component to that that doesn't mean it's their fault specifically that that or whatever um and 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 being more pastorally sensitive let's say to to the way we uh, encourage and uh pastor people who, who are going through mental health issues but just to come back to your story will um so i guess at some point along the journey uh you felt a call to ministry yourself i, I mean did, were you aware yeah. at that point that it would involve ministering specifically in, in the area of mental health no and i think justin probably like many people in my area of work I, I had no interest really in getting involved in mental. If you said to me at 19, you're going to be a priest in the area of mental emotional health, I'd probably run a mile if I'm <laughs> honest. Um, actually, I was really into sports and I wanted to become a sports pastor and I, I was an evangelist. Um, and uh, when I was training, for, I, I felt called to ministry because I was teaching and I was doing a lot of chaplaincy work, which I loved. Um, and I think that's probably because I'm a pastor at heart. So the chaplaincy side really appealed to me. Um, I felt called to ministry and I got involved and then I went to theological college and it was there really that I um, I was traveling along at high speed very full great agenda playing lots of sports doing lots of evangelistic sort of work and I, I had a view that that's what I was going to be doing in the future it was probably during my university time as a, as a postgraduate that I started to experience some emotional health challenges and mine have always orientated themselves around anxiety So whilst I had a low level of anxiety, it became slightly more acute in my uh, training period. And I found worry dominating my worldview a lot more uh, significantly. And um, 
then when I began my curacy in London, that's when my uh, anxiety basically became very acute. And that was the first time I'd say that I, I sort of, I suddenly realized I had a mental health problem. And that was following the London bombings in, in 2005, where I effectively had an experience of what was sort of post-traumatic stress. Just tell us about that a little bit, because what was your involvement at that time? This is obviously the, the tube and yeah. the transport bombings that took place in 2005. I think it was July, wasn't it? Yeah, and, that's right. That's and right. and um, so what, what was your involvement there? And yeah, and how did that manifest yeah. um, subsequently? So my wife, Louie, uh, was going to the tube. She was actually going to Paddington Station. We lived by Edgware Road Station and I walked her to um, Paddington. She was going to a conference in Oxford for the day. And I uh, walked back, probably about 10 past nine, so just, just after the bombs had, had gone off at Edgware Road Station. And um, as the priest, I, locally, I had a parish hall right opposite the station. And there were just a, a couple of policemen there at the time. Uh, I went under the first cordon and offered them use of this church hall. Um, and I didn't, they told me there'd been an electrical incident on the line. Um, and I said, oh, do you want to, you know, do you want to use the, my hall for toilets? And you know, do you want to? base yourself there anyway they, they loved that idea so I opened up the hall anyway within about an hour you can imagine suddenly we were this sort of operational base mm. for the Edgware Road incident and I was I guess a sort of pseudo chaplain on site um I felt pretty useless to be honest but I was sort of clucking around like mother hen providing mm. coffee and tea and toilets and yeah. prayer and everything but I think what, what happened to me during the day I mean I was there very intensely through the first most intense period and we also um saw that the, the Russell Square bomb go off on the small tv monitor yeah. um with 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 the uh, with the with the with the fire service personnel so I was basically traumatized in this, I saw some things that were, were probably not that helpful for me to see. Um, I, I breathed a lot of secondhand smoke on the on on the experience. I was sick just through the experiencing basically, mm. um, and that traumatic experience I didn't know it at the time, but that really opened the lid on my anxiety problem. And I'd say I had a very unsettled summer following the seven seven bombings, and when I came back into London after our family holiday. I think the proximity to the tube, all the sort of memories, all of the kind of visceral uh, anxiety really flooded over me. And I had what I you know, call it an anxiety breakdown. Effectively, I had started having multiple panic attacks, wasn't able to sleep. I lost my appetite. I spiraled into a kind of depression, um, became really quite unwell. And at that time, the church, I was leading, you know, I was a curate in a big charismatic evangelical church. And we didn't really have a framework for mental health. We had a mm. thousand or so members. Um, but one of my dear colleagues, he said I was just tired. So his, his, his um, perspective on mental health was that, you know, this was physically, it was just physical exhaustion. And my other colleague sweetly believed that somehow the devil was assailing me, which actually made me really anxious because then I <laughs> thought, goodness, now I've got a real problem. So if you like the two polarities of our church perspective, either sort of denying that mental health is a reality or over-spiritualizing it were both real. It was actually my non-Christian GP who really saved me um, and would call me up out of hours to check that I was doing okay. And I needed medication and I needed therapy. Uh, and I made a really pretty strong recovery. Um, I was left with a diagnosis of what's called GAD, which is generalized anxiety disorder, which doesn't really go off of your file. If you like, I've still got, I can still carry that diagnosis, but I haven't had any of those, uh, struggles, if you like, for um, the last sort of you know, 14 years. Well, what is apparent, though, 
is that people like me talking about these sort of stories is is risky in that um, people who are listening could think that the London bombings is the reason that I had an acute anxiety episode. Whereas I'd say the London bombings were the straw that broke the camel's back, if you like. Mm. But I already had anxiety issues before the London bombings. And again, a kind of natural Christian um, modus operandi is to try and legitimize your mental health problem and to say, well, I, you know, I, I, I did this important thing and then I got ill as a consequence. But actually, I, I was unwell beforehand. It just was very low level uh, anxiety and hadn't been addressed. And so this uh, trauma actually kind of blew the lid off uh, what I'd been trying to hide. At that point, I mean, you know, who, who, who knew what to do? And, and that's the point at which I thought if I'm experiencing quite a high level of unintended stigma, then I kept thinking about all the people in my congregation who must have mental health issues, of which I knew none. Mm. So there was a thousand people, but I had not come across a single mental health problem. Wow. And it wasn't until I started talking about it in my church that people started coming yeah. forward in droves. Premier Christianity magazine. Are you fed up with fake news or bored of bad stories? We think it's time for something different. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. Every month, our team publishes stories of lives transformed, testimonies, miracles, healings, and loads more good news. We're here to encourage you, excite you, and keep you up to date with all that God is doing through His church. That's why we're proud to bring you a magazine that's different. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. feels like you were really ahead of the curve because nowadays you know every, we we've really have been made much more aware of mental health issues and, and major people you know um you know well I, I don't know if i can call him prince harry anymore but but yeah. harry and bill and everyone have you know obviously been uh, themselves spokespeople on that front and we see a lot more people being very open about it in the media and everything else and, and just a lot more resources but but i mean back in you know back when you were beginning things like the minor soul family foundation uh as you say most people very uneducated actually or or simply ignorant in a way of of what is really constituted by most mental health issues and and so in a way you i see you as having been very much a pioneer at the vanguard of of helping especially the church obviously to start to recognize and deal more helpfully with some of these issues so how did that all start for you when when you started to realize this this was an area of ministry that you were being called to well, Justin, you, you make me sound rather grand. I think I'm, I'm a reluctant disciple. And I think, you know, when you go through something like this, you know, in a way, the last thing you want to do is then sort of tell everyone because the culture is, is quite stigmatizing still. Mm. And had, I had really lovely clergy friends calling out, you know, some advising me to keep quiet about it because it would damage my professional career. Um, and some others, um, you know, sort of wanting to under, trying to understand it and really struggling. I think I came to a position on it where I thought, I'm either going to live my life trying to hide this vulnerability, which is not helping me, or I'm going to let God to use this brokenness to make something better. And I, I kept coming across Paul's teaching around, you know, when I'm weak, he is strong. And, you know, we're broken vessels being made perfect in his image. You know, that kind of idea about, about God redeeming us out of ashes. And I really did at the time feel like I was in ashes. 
And so I made a very conscious decision to decide to talk about mental health. Unfortunately, I had a really dear friend from my university at Cambridge, uh, Dr. Rob Waller, who's a consultant psychiatrist. And Rob had been um, speaking a lot about mental health and spirituality to the NHS. And um, he helped me in my recovery. And I said, look, why don't, why don't we join together? I'll start talking to the church about mental health and you carry on talking to the NHS about spirituality. And so that's how the partnership began. And we just started blogging online. I mean, it was like two funny chaps in a garage, you know, kind of logging on the chat rooms or talking about our experiences. But what was amazing at the time, you know, this is now, you know, 15 years ago, is that our sort of web blogs exploded in terms of the amount of people who are accessing it. Um, and that, that would turn into hundreds of thousands, which now doesn't sound like very many, but at the time it was, mm. it was a lot. Yeah. Um, now I think we get about four and a half million hits a year from 26 different countries. And so that conversation has definitely rapidly spiraled. But what's good now is not just us. There's a whole plethora of great organizations doing sure. this kind of work. But when we started, it was a case of beginning a conversation about spirituality and mental health. Um, and I guess I, was, I started by simple things like looking at the emotions of Jesus. I kept, mm-hmm. I kept thinking that I think sort of everyone had this idea that Jesus was sort of floating a, sort of a three quarters of an inch above the floor, smiling throughout his ministry. And that we had this idea that only that Jesus experiences emotionally were just peace and like serenity. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking at the Bible in a new way. And I, you know, Jesus is weeping at the death of Lazarus and Jesus is like sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. It's like kind of this emotional distress and Jesus is really furious. He's whipping people mm-hmm. out of the temple courts. You know, it, I mean, it's like, this is sort of anger that is just phenomenal and, yeah. you know, inexplicable. And I started looking at the sort of, you know, this other side of Jesus emotion and how how whole Jesus was emotionally and started thinking whether or not we as Christians had cut our emotions off at the knees and there were lots of emotions that weren't if you like deemed appropriate for us I mean like being angry so it's just in your anger do not sin it doesn't say do not be angry mm. um you know sadness like grieving I mean, this the books of lamentations are in the bible because grieving is significant and sure. yet no one seemed to be talking about grief uh, so yeah. emotions that are common to us all i mean you know elijah is suicidal in in kings you know saying take my life lord i'm no better than my ancestors um, and you, you look at these characters and you suddenly think the bible is full of emotion and yet we are only allowed to live in this tiny box of emotion and that's c- creating problems for us yeah absolutely i, I mean the, the title of your latest book as i mentioned um is about the power of belonging and discovering the confidence to lead with vulnerability and and i think what you were just saying earlier many people will feel the same many christian leaders especially i'm not allowed to appear vulnerable because i'm the the person everyone looks to as the rock the solid foundation you know leading everyone forward as though i know exactly what i'm doing and obviously uh, beneath the sea behind the the scenes it's never like that in most leaders lives they're they're just as vulnerable as anyone else to feelings of inadequacy anxiety and so on and depression of course and, and of course there have been some very high profile cases very sad cases uh just in the last 12 months or so um i'm especially thinking of um was it jared wilson um, um yeah, uh, in, in in uh california and so on uh you know who himself was running a, a mental health sort of charity christian charity and very sadly took his own life um 
And, and those kinds of um, stories bring home the fact that uh, leaders are not in some sense immune. Uh, that, uh, and I, I don't know, what, what, what have you felt about some of those major high-profile stories uh, and, and what they brought home to us about the reality of, of mental health issues, especially for leaders as well? There's a real danger isn't there, in, in triumphalism in terms of how we live. You know, we are in this weird kingdom of the now and the not yet. And I think we are, we're struggling intense longing for this heavenly home. And I think that, that, that encouragement is to, is to live in, in our reality with this hopeful kingdom view. As long as we're denying our emotional reality, I think we're in danger. And the power of belonging is about saying, actually, we can live not just well, but better by living authentically. And um, we're not called to kind of hide so many leaders. I mean, I coach a lot of leaders uh, around emotional uh, health and well-being. And so many leaders are struggling with depression and anxiety, particularly. And that's a high diagnosis nationally, 6.1% is the kind of diagnosis for anxiety, mixed anxiety and depression. But I'd say in, in terms of leaders of churches, I wouldn't be surprised if 50% were struggling in a way with anxiety and depression. You, obviously, many are on an undiagnosed level, mm. but the pressures are so incredibly high. Uh, the emotional burdens are so incredibly intense. Uh, the, the level of expectation is off the charts. Um, leaders also struggling with loneliness because they don't believe that they can necessarily share those burdens. And so the, the nature of ministry itself, particularly 21st century ministry, which is a lot faster and the expectations are a lot higher than they maybe were even 50 years ago in this country. The leaders are struggling with their emotional health. And so, uh, you know, having a more authentic way of being and actually accepting our vulnerability can, can transform our leadership. I also believe that you know people congregant members connect with us in our vulnerabilities not in our strengths that actually when we lead with a kind of bravado in a kind of gung-ho way as if everything's great the congregation retracts and they actually hide their real experiences in order that they might seem it online if you like with what we are expressing and so we're actually suppressing their spiritual reality when actually what we want to do is invite god into that mess and, and enable them to get the help that he longs to give them. So th- 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 there's a knock-on, not just for leaders, yeah. but also for congregation members. Yeah, it, it's it's huge, and I, I can imagine. You know, we we've already seen the way that you know the studies and statistics tell us the way that social media, while it's great at one level, is also kind of feeding to some extent the anxiety, and mental health issues in many people, and and that of course applies to leaders um, because there's always that sense of look at what that other person's doing, all that they're achieving, their amazing ministry, their amazing perfect family. And none of that looks like that for me. So I can imagine that all of those kind of new pressures that exist for leaders today take their toll emotionally and psychologically. Well, I mean, we, we're seeing that in spades right now. And I'm not sure if you've been on your newsfeed recently, but I, you know, there's sort of literally a hundred different preachers and pastors all teaching to me through my Facebook and Instagram and Twitter <laughs> feeds. And, 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 you know, leaders are going through a revolution right now where they're having to they've close their churches and they're having to do everything online. I was chatting to a leader today and they were just remarking on that the anxiety that that creates, not just the workload, but also the anxiety that suddenly, you know, your congregation is dissipated and then suddenly they're in this, you know, this incredible spiritual marketplace. What does that mean for your congregation and how do you lead them effectively? So leaders are, are, are exposed on so many levels right now um, and feeling so much pressure and also burden for the care of their uh, communities and those who are sick as well so you know i think you know I'd encourage everyone to pray for their leaders pray for us we need your mm-hmm. prayer 
but also we have to exercise discipline in our leadership and um you know i i always said that you know if the devil can't stop you from doing what he doesn't want you to do he'll get you to do too much of it Hmm. Now, the, the, the danger is often that you, that the, the devil might oppose your calling, but if you can't stop your calling, he'll give way to such an extent you'll kill yourself in terms of your workload. And I, and I see, unfortunately, that spirit of competition overwhelms us and, I, you know, leaders are burning out because effectively they're doing too much of what the devil doesn't want them to do. And yeah. uh, disciplines of self-care are not just personal disciplines, they're spiritual disciplines. You know, I love the fact that Jesus in Mark's gospel, he's at Simon Peter's mother's house. He says the whole village came to you know, be healed by him. But rather than hanging around to heal the whole village, it says very early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, Jesus left the house and went up the mountain to pray. Now, what we know about the story is that no one knew where Jesus was, because it says later the disciples were looking for him. And then, <laughs> then they said, Jesus, where were you? Everyone's looking for you. So what we know is that some point early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, Jesus tiptoed probably over the broken and bruised bodies of the people who are still waiting to be healed and went up the mountain to actually spend time attending to his emotional and mental health by praying to God, the father. And it was like the yeah, lost sheep. Yeah, yeah. Good shepherd. It, it, uh, I mean, the, these sorts of practices have, have come to be placed under a new term these days, mindfulness, but in a way it's not new. This has been part of the Christian tradition for millennia, but I think in a way we're being called in our modern world to rediscover some of those ancient practices, aren't we? Oh, I mean, absolutely. A mindfulness practice, you know, it's not Buddhist practice, which lots of Christians are worried about. It's actually what it is to be human. The, the nature of being human is the awareness of your own consciousness. You're aware that you're conscious. That effectively, that's what mindfulness practice is. And mindfulness practice is about holding on to something that might be distressing you and, and not suppressing it or repressing it or denying it, but then attending to other things in your environment. So, you know, this sort of sense of like, for example, with, the, with this you know, COVID virus, the temptation is to be on the news feeds constantly consuming content because mm. you want to fix the problem. You know, you want to find out that bit of news that's going to save you. But actually, mindfulness practice is to hold on to your anxiety, not to push it away or deny it, but to hold on to it. But then to give attention to the birds in your garden, you know, or the children in your homeschool or, you know, whatever project you happen to be doing online. So mindfulness is good because it, it, it helps us to hold on to the unanswered questions and not try and be in the position of power. You could say it's about restoring the principle of life that God is God and we are we. So mindfulness practice is about not, not allowing yourself to be activated by all of the desires and pressures of life and instead to put your attention uh, to those things which you want to give to your attention. And for me and for all of us as Christians, a lot of that should be about giving our attention back to God and not letting like, the experiences of the, of, of the world overwhelm our attention. Yeah. So, so just at this present time, when we are facing unique challenges, um, many people, as you say, their, their schedules have been interrupted, their life has kind of been put on pause in many ways, and they're not able to do lots of the things they maybe were once able to do that have helped them, you know, when it comes to mental health issues. What, what would be your, you know, if there were three kind of key tips, let's say, um, and I know you've been sharing some brilliant articles over at the um, uh, Mind and Soul Foundation website as well along these lines, but, but maybe three key things that someone who is feeling a sort of a spike in their anxiety, um, is, is, is feeling fearful, is just aware that this whole situation is pulling them into a certain way of being and, and, and they feel kind of a bit left out at sea. 
where where would should they begin especially if they're a christian when it comes to just starting to okay look at that situation and find practical ways to deal with it I mean, the first thing to say is it's natural and normal to feel afraid that actually god's created us with three systems three physical systems productivity recovery and security and that your limbic system is going to be activated by this news because it's a threat it's a threat to all of us and so it's okay and normal and natural to feel fear so don't try and push your fear away as if it's spiritually not appropriate you know Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow for today has got enough cares of its own what he's saying is attend to the fear of the day but don't attend to the catastrophic fears of your mind which are about things that haven't happened yet so the first thing is to accept that fear is okay and and to recognize that you're going to be afraid i think that three three important things we can do the first one is to recognize that whilst we are isolating we don't need to get isolated and for many for many people watching right now listening right now um, there might be a sense of, I'm all on my own. If you're a single person, if you're an older person on your own, that can be very terrifying. But what we want to is, is recognize that whilst you might be physically isolating, you don't need to be emotionally or spiritually isolated. And, and there are a number of things that you can do, obviously, dial into media, but be careful not to dial into news media all the time. Phone friends, ask a friend to call, ask family to drop notes by, you know, connect with friends on whatever service provider you use but try and stay connected every day and make sure you have one or two meaningful conversations but also try and make sure those conversations aren't totally dominated by this virus try and think and to talk about other things and obviously reminisce about things that happen if you've got a pet pet your pet Uh, if you've got a window put some bird seed on your window and just come enjoy the birds they'll keep you company but the key thing is to recognize you might be isolating but you don't need to be isolated and the most important message there is that is that jesus will never leave you that you're never isolated from the presence of jesus and you know in psalm 139 it says you know i go up to the heavens but you are there i go down into the depths of the sea but you are there where can i flee from your presence where can i go from your presence you know, everywhere your hand will guide me so however isolated you might feel be attentive to the reality of the presence of god that's with you and don't allow yourself to be isolated when you're isolating so that's the first thing very important for your emotional well-being to stay connected the, the second thing i think is what we call gratitude training now if you're anyone anything like me it's much easier at times like these to see the empty glass um forget half empty it's just completely dry right now um <laughs> uh, there is you know there's this there's this terrifying virus people are dying and uh, we are as a nation and as a world in 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 desperate pain mm. but you can choose to let that dominate your event horizon entirely in which case you will definitely feel emotionally more troubled or you can begin to explore with gratitude your immediate circumstances so if you are well right now a thing to give thanks to god for is that you actually you have your health um, and you can say, God, I'm just so thankful that I'm healthy right now. You know, if you're mildly unwell, you can say, thank you, God, that I've just got a mild illness right now. If you have got friends and family that can dial in on your phone or, or call, you can say, thank God that I've got this media outlet. Um, thank God that I've got some toilet roll in my house. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it might be small things, but what we know psychologically is that gratitude training actually changes your mood. And you can either allow yourself to edit out all the positive thoughts or you can allow yourself to edit them in but that is a discipline so my encouragement is to choose gratitude 
Um, Paul says, I found the secret of being thankful in all circumstances. And I think we have an opportunity. In the West, we rarely ever have this opportunity. But right now, we have the opportunity to put Paul's teaching into practice and say, how can I be grateful in this incredibly difficult circumstance? That's the second thing. I think the, the third thing is around uh, catastrophizing. And you know, for anxiety sufferers like me, we, we have a very heightened sense of self-preservation. And so what your anxiety system is typically trying to get you to do is to see further down the line, to look further down uh, into the future, to work out what threat might be coming along on your event horizon. I'm sure many listeners, when you were a kid, you might have played those platform games uh, in the arcade. And, and you're, you know, you're a fighter jet and then things appear and, and you have to sort of you know, navigate them and shoot them down by the time they arrive at your top screen. If you're a good player, you can almost work out the pattern of when the big bomber is going to appear. Mm. And what we try and do as anxiety sufferers is sort of look beyond the immediate screen and envisage what might actually happen next. Now, that overthinking is what we call catastrophizing. And catastrophizing creates huge problems for us because effectively we're fighting battles that we're not even needing to fight. And we're stimulating adrenaline we don't need to use. And so I'd encourage you right now to, again, take Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6.34 to heart and say, actually, rather than worrying about tomorrow, that's, if you like, catastrophizing this problem, I'm going to deal with the immediate challenges of today. And again, this is hard, but actually it is a discipline. And if you find yourself tracking away into a catastrophic circumstance, which hasn't happened yet, practice just bring yourself back into the moment. And I do that through the senses. So feel something. You might feel that the, your jeans, rub your hands on your jeans or on the table. Feel the texture of that. Smell something. Smell the air. You'll be amazed what you smell when you actually try and smell the air. Smell your room. This, this room needs dusting. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so smell something, um, feel something, hear something, listen, listen into your immediate environment, try and tune in. So is it traffic, a train, children mm. running in a garden next door, hear something and then know something. Know, know that God is with you in this very present moment. So try and use your senses to bring you back into the now and your sensory presence will help you to change what you're thinking here about what might happen and keeping you rooted in the right now with Jesus, which is where you really need to be. So those are the three things I'd encourage you to do, to actually you know, know that you're isolating, but you're not alone, practice gratitude, and pull yourself back from catastrophizing. Hugely, hugely helpful. Thank you so much, Will. Um, look, we've had a good amount of your time, and I know you've probably got lots of things to attend to. Before we go, though, uh, would you just pray for anyone who is at this moment feeling anxious, um, who perhaps does have mental health issues that are being provoked, especially at this difficult time. Uh, it would be great for you to pray for us, if you would, Will. Of course, I'd be delighted. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you know us. You know how our minds work, how our bodies work, how our emotions work. And we want to thank you that you've promised never to leave us or forsake us. So right now, wherever we are, we invite your presence. Help us, Lord, in this divine interruption to become aware of your presence with us and your comfort for us. Help us to be kind and compassionate to ourselves and to those around us and make us agents of your peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
mindandsoulfoundation.org is the place to go if you want to find out more about will and the amazing work that they do there um there's also you're on twitter as well aren't you of course at, is yeah, it, uh, at will van der hart but also yeah. at mind and soul uk on all of the social channels brilliant so look out for that uh, i'll make sure there are links from today's podcast as well uh thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast on the profile podcast today will and if you want more from the profile podcast you can of course find us online over at premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile and don't forget to get your free sample copy of premier christianity magazine as well it's still going out coronavirus or not we're still pumping out the old magazine and you can get the latest edition of the uh, of the mag absolutely free that's over at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample for now will thank you so much for your um your pastoral wisdom and just for your presence at a time like this and i I know many many people are going to be blessed by what we've been able to share today thanks so much justin